Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast, where you can learn from entrepreneurs and investors who are driving progress in healthcare and life science across the globe. My name is Joe Schunkweiler. I'm a physician and former health tech executive. And my name is Alex Merwin. I'm an operations executive who's worked at two startups that exited as unicorns. And now Joe and I work with healthcare and life science startups and investors at AWS. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Seth Sternberg, co-founder and CEO from Honor, who runs the world's largest home care network and care platform for older adults. As the world's aging population continues to explode, it's imperative that we develop the means to deliver quality care to older adults everywhere. To meet the need, Honor built an advanced care platform and the world's largest home care network. Their platform combines local care, centralized operations, and best-in-class technology to deliver the highest quality care. We discuss the need to care for care professionals and how they're developed, how to acquire and integrate a company into a high-growth startup, and lessons learned managing a two-sided marketplace in the digital health space. Enjoy! Seth, welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast. I've been really looking forward to this one. We're going to get into honor and what it is you do, but I'm a big fan of the mission. And just to think anybody with parents who need a little bit of extra help is you really do it a lot to help them. But I don't want to steal all your thunder. Maybe we could start off just you can tell me a bit about honor and what exactly you do. Yeah, of course. So honor is a what people call a personal care company. So we help older adults live in their homes as they age and we let them stay in their homes as they age. So there's things called activities of daily living, ADLs. And that's things like getting out of bed, getting food, getting dressed. And if you can't do usually two of those things, you can't live alone. And often as you age, you end up not being able to do two or more of those things. So if you want to stay in your home, then you need home care. And that's what we provide. Tell me about what brought you to this. So, you know, a little bit about your professional journey and background. Yeah. So uh, I, let's see, grew up in Connecticut. I uh, started a company out of business school, I guess in the middle of business school called Mebo. Uh, that was a web messaging company. We ran it for seven years and then sold it to Google. So then I was at Google for a couple of years. I wanted to work on something new that uh, had a rule. The rule was look a human in the eye and know that you'd make their life fundamentally better. And then I wanted um, that to be millions of humans, not just one. Um, and I, we spent like myself and the other co-founders, we spent about 18 months looking for what that thing could be. And then I ran into an issue with my mother. One of the other co-founders was having kind of early issues with his parents as well. And then boom, we started working on how do we help older adults? And we had all sorts of ideas on it, like hardware devices, software services. We didn't really care. We just wanted to fix a problem. And the problem we ultimately settled on was help our parents stay in their homes as they age. And that's when we found this home care industry. And it was really large, but really fragmented and pretty broken as an industry. And we recognized that we could fundamentally bring kind of our skills and expertise to it, technology enablement, in order to de hopefully defragment the industry, consolidate somewhat so that you can have more care pros who can serve more customers and give them finer grain help with the needs that they really, really have by virtue of having a larger pool of people to serve, pull from. Where did you find your co-founders? Were they the ones you had worked with previously or did you pull any new people into the team? We have an interesting setup. It's a double couple <laughs> setup. Oh, wow. Uh, so yeah, the story goes, one of my best friends since I was 18 is Cam. He was a co-founder of this company called Plaxo. I told him one day, hey, I have this company idea that was Mebo. He was like, you should talk to my girlfriend, Sandy. Uh, Sandy becomes my co-founder on Mebo. Sandy and I do that. 
I meet my wife in business school. Cam has sold Plaxo. We have sold Mevo. And then the four of us start thinking about what we want to do next. Oh, wow. So the you are the second founder uh, or co-founder on the podcast who has built and scaled a company with their significant other, um, Eugene Borohovich and Marina Borohovich from your Coach Health were on a previous episode. Um, what has that given you, you know, in terms of a, as like a superpower? Like, like what, how does that benefit you as a founding team? Yeah, so it, you like deeply, deeply trust your co-founders, which is really helpful because we're doing something really hard. Like one of our, actually one of our requirements for what we wanted to work on was that it had to be hard because we were all multi-time founders and we felt like we could solve therefore a harder problem. Um, all startups are hard. Honor's really hard too, probably a little harder than on average. And if you have a base of co-founders who you really trust and you know what each other are really good at, then you can be much, much more efficient. Um, and so that's probably the biggest benefit is just that like that deep trust, knowing what each other's good at, just divide and conquer. Like I'm good at this, you're good at that. Let's go. Previous to Amazon, I worked in advertising technology at a few scale-ups. And I found that the other time when this really matters is when you're growing really quickly. When you go mm -hmm. past, you know, 50 to 100 employees, when you have visibility and what everybody's doing, you get to 100, 200, 300 plus. Now you need things like cadences, you have chiefs of staff, you, you no longer yeah. can have line of sight on what people are doing. Yeah. And the difference between seeing a partner team under deliver and thinking mm -hmm. bunch of slackers, like they need to like put up. I mean, we're, we're dying over here in customer mm -hmm. success, right? We don't have yeah. the new features from engineering, for example. Mm -hmm. um, the difference between that and leaning in and being like, hey, I, are they okay? You know, yep. like, should I ping the PM yep. and, you know, yep, maybe totally. we need to remove it's trust, right? Like the, yep. the difference between those two scenarios is trust. Because if you don't have trust, people don't feel safe. If they don't feel safe. They're not going to talk about what's broken. And then you're dealing with proxies the whole time. Yeah. Honor was founded in 2014. You've been through several funding rounds. Mm -hmm. uh, you went through this thing called COVID-19, which yeah, probably impacted you, right? Yeah. With, with your customer segment. What chapter is Honor in now? Thinking about yeah. the company's history, where are you at now? And what are you looking forward to next? It's much larger than anything I've ever run before. Mebo, when we sold it, I think probably had, I don't know, 150 people and 50 million in revenue. Um, and, you know, we're now multiples of that revenue. We're 750 people in headquarters. Um, we cover the United States, Canada, United Kingdom, a lot of Western Europe. Uh, we are the largest care provider for older adults in their homes that I know of, like in the Western hemisphere, for sure. I don't know what's happening in China per se, <laughs> um, but I don't know of any other network that has broader access to older adults in their homes than we do. So we're at this really interesting stage where we have this just absolutely massive network and now it's on us to keep helping that network expand and serve more people. And we think of it as both serving more customers and more care professionals. So serve more of both of those people and ultimately in continue to innovate on the product. Because I think what home care is today, it could be so much more. But the mm -hmm. first part of the journey is let's just like fix this thing that's like a very, very necessary service. It's huge. Like in America, it's a $30 billion industry. But we need to make sure that we keep innovating on what that can be. Talk to me about how you balance innovation versus your core business, right? So there's a lot of interesting innovation in care delivery for older adults, um, but then you got the bread and butter, right? Are there new innovations that you're really excited about? Do you partner? Do you try to build stuff internally? How do you think about that? Yeah. So we spend the dramatic majority of our time on innovation for core home care. So it's building capabilities that mostly are about making care pros better. 
like em mm. enable them with better tools, um, give them jobs that are more appropriate to them. If we get, we call it care for the care pro. And if we can care for the care pro and we can come up with new algorithms, for example, that get them a job that they like more, that's a better fit for their skills. If we can better enable them with tools like to help a given customer who has a given issue, they will then provide better care and they will actually be happier in the job themselves. And so the majority of what we work on is in that field. We have other innovation things that we work on. So we did this thing that we call Honor Expert, where we took a team of social workers and made them available to people who wanted to call in to simply get advice on how to help mom. I'm having these issues that I'm starting to see. I don't know who to call. I don't know who to talk to. Can I just call someone who's knowledgeable who can give me advice? Because too many people are calling me with those questions and people all throughout our team. And we realized that's like a huge need people have. So we launched that as a new products sphere that was innovation, but that's small in the grand scheme of where we really focus, which is just home care itself. The core has so far to go to make it like truly stellar. Um, we provide amazing care today, but like it could, it can always be so much better. I think as the entrepreneur, you look at where you are and you always say, oh my God, I forgot we only can fix these five things. <laughs> we think I'm mm. better. And then you fix those five things and you're like, here's my next five. That's where we focus our time. So that makes a lot of sense. And I appreciate that you're staying very focused. I, I think it can be really challenging for healthcare startups when they lose that and they bite off more than they can chew. And then suddenly you, you really have challenges, right? Because it's just yeah. so complex. But the interface points are really important, right? So the care professionals who you're working with are one side of your marketplace. On the other are your patients. How do you be a good team player with other participants in the health system, right? So I'm thinking like the payers, the providers. Are there any like interfaces for handoffs into acute care, things like that? Yeah. So to this point, the space of kind of classic non-medical home care has not done much interfacing with the healthcare ecosystem. It's kind of like there's this dividing line and we sit on one side and the core healthcare system sits on the other side. When you look at the data, over 20% of the homes that we're in have palliative, hospice, home health, like you have providers in there. And we're frequently accompanying our clients to doctor's visits. So there's actually a lot of opportunity for us to work much better with the core healthcare system. Um, we've run a bunch of experiments to everything from kind of ER diversion, um, safe transition to home. Someone you might be um, discharged from a hip replacement, for example. So we've done a lot of experimenting, but we haven't deployed at scale other than our kind of normal course where 20% of our business just is kind of in partnership. Um, the one exception of something we did really interesting recently is we um, partnered with Dispatch Health and we actually drive demand to them. So mm. in our homes, we'll see, hey, there's a customer, um, they really need a hospital at home and we can call and activate them. And then that helps keep the customer at home. Um, and then it you know, brings uh, that hospital at home into the home that we're serving. So that's a uh, interesting thing that we did uh, recently that we've seen be rather successful. Oh, fascinating. Makes sense, right? Because you've got a large patient population and as their needs may become more complex, then you can pull in a specialist who's really working in that area. With the care professionals, I love to always think about customer examples and stories. You're doing all these experiments and trying different things, but can you share a story? You can anonymize it if you want of a care professional that, you know, has been with Honor, it's transformed their career, it's, it's made their life better. Do you have an example? Yeah, so um, there's kind of two paths like that. 
One is a number of care professionals use honor as a stepping stone to becoming like a RN or even an MP. So we, they'll use it as kind of like practical training in the field. Um, and we're aware of multiple cases of our care pros moving up, so to speak, to becoming RNs. And then we also graduate our care pros into our operations team. So a whole bunch mm -hmm. of people on our operations team used to be care pros. Um, but now they're in ops and they're helping run the network of care pros. <laughs> um, so I think that's actually really cool. A thing that I care a lot about, it was actually one of the theses of honor, is this idea of care for care pros. And one part of that is truly treating them like professionals. So normally care pros are called in caregivers. Like that's the term that industry tends to use. We kind of coined care pro. And the reason we did that is as we interviewed care pros early on, they said, look, like I'm a professional. I think like a professional. I want to be thought of as a professional. And so then we said, okay, like we're going to absolutely build a system that treats you like a professional. We're going to start with calling you a professional. And then one big thing professionals get is paths up from performance, right? They get kind of here expectations, here are tools to help you meet those expectations. Here's training to help you meet those expectations. Here's an analysis of how you're doing, right? Like performance feedback. And then if you're doing well, you can move up. And so that was a kind of very important aspect to what we built. With the care professionals, when they come on board, how do you get feedback at scale, right? You did the interviews at the beginning, you get a lot of rich information, but now surely you have a population that's too large to do that. This kind of ties into the experiments you're doing, right? I'm, I'm keen to understand what does good look like? You know, so when you, you, when you run an experiment, how do you know whether uh, that's something worth doubling down on or if yep. it's something you need to defocus on? Yeah, so we do a mix of um, explicit data entry and then just implicit data that's observed by what is a care pro doing in the app or um, how many seconds they spend on the screen or how far down do they scroll or when do they fill out the care plan? So we collect data in those two ways, right? It's either explicitly entered or it's implicit that we then observe. But then to your question on, so what is good? That's a really good question because like, let's say that a dementia customer of ours says this care pro is amazing. What does that mean for the next customer? And the answer is we don't know. So you can't just use, you know, how many stars did they get as a metric of is a care pro good or not? Rather, you have to decide what variable is your kind of fixed variable that matters around if this is good, like if, if this is high, then I want to find the traits in care pros across a very broad spectrum of data that indicate that that variable is likely to be high. And it turns out that that is going to be highly variable even by customer type, right? So a good care pro for your mom is probably different than a good care pro for my mom. And that's the way we have to architect the system. Um, when we work on new features, what we're almost always doing is looking at a graph that we want to move. So we'll say like, hey, the current rate at which like care pros call off right now, right? Like ping and say, hey, I can't go to my shift. The current rate is, you know, 10%. Well, we want to move that down. So let's do a whole big effort on um, figuring out from, you know, data regressions, why do care pros call off? Okay, this is why. Let's push a change to how we give care pros jobs, give them jobs that should theoretically produce less call-offs. Did we move that call-off graph? Yes or no? If so, how much? Right? So almost always, it's just some kind of operating statistic or care statistic that we want to move. Mm. We 
figure out how we think we should move it, usually through some form of data analysis or regressions. And then we um, push and push live and see how the graph moves. I'm really quite curious on what dimensions are meaningful. So it sounds like you need to segment your patient base, right? You, you need to have a yeah. well-refined segmentation so that the output metrics you're looking at have signal and you can actually model against it. So is it ge geography? Is it is it indication? Is it age? Are there significant dimensions that you've identified that perhaps are unexpected? Um, it, it depends on for what. So for example, is a cure pro likely to churn? How long they have to drive is a big deal. How much their skill set fits very precisely with the needs of the customer is a big deal, right? So there are certain things that are like big deal for if you want to get churned down. There are other things that are totally different if you want to get call offs down, right? The act of quitting, hey, I don't want to do this any longer, is different and happens for different reasons than the act of, hey, I can't go today. And so for each one of those, what you really need to do, you have to approach it from ML or regressions perspective. Like you have to throw a whole ton of data at the system and look at outcomes and then figure out what the patterns were in the data that likely led to those outcomes. What about the demand side of the marketplace? How do you source patients? How do you, because I'm, I'm presuming that a big value add for the care professionals is their career advancement, right? You're, you're actively yep. investing in upskilling. Mm -hmm. uh, you're providing a much more engaged experience than they're previously used to. You're providing feedback mm -hmm. and you're developing them. But also, I'm sure that it matters how many bookings they get and if they're able mm -hmm. to fill their slate of shifts. So um, how do you work with patients? Yeah, so we go to market mostly under the Home Instead brand, like our consumer brand is Home Instead. Um, and then Honor is the platform brand. And so Honor, we really think of ourselves as a platform. We have a platform actually that enables people to run businesses on top of us, which are home care, and then often were the service delivery mechanism or they're running it through a more classic franchise system. Always, almost always, not always. <laughs> There's probably a few tens of millions of dollars of just direct sold Honor kind of think of it as like your factory floor that you operate 100% yourself to see everything in the end. But then there's the other couple billion dollars and the other couple billion dollars of care is being sourced through owners of businesses that are sitting on our platform. So they're finding the end consumer who needs care and bringing that end consumer in. And then if they're in a traditional model in our Homestead franchise network, they're delivering that care themselves. If they're in our care platform model, um, we're delivering that care on their behalf. Um, if they're in our HCN model, same deal. They're just doing it under different brands. So we have multiple channels that are paths to market where these people are sitting their businesses on top of our platform. And the platforms are very important because one of the key things that we need to do is get home care to consistency. Like we need to create a standard with a standard SLA so that someone in the healthcare ecosystem, for example, if we want to do one of these partnerships you're talking about or what we did with Dispatch Health, you need to be able to say, hey, I can do this everywhere and I can do it the same way everywhere. And a hyper-fragmented industry cannot do that. And that's what home care was. But we are defragging it, right? And we have this pretty crazy metric. Like our average visit to a home of a senior is six hours. Like every time we walk in, usually we're in there for six hours on average. And the average customer, we're in their home for like 30 hours a week, right? So not only do we have like the broadest reach to all older adults in the Western hemisphere that I'm aware of, we also probably have by far the highest engagement times, right? To make that super valuable and how we think about partnering with the healthcare ecosystem, you also need consistency. And that's where a platform that drives consistency becomes really important. 
you think about the average time that an older adult would have with their primary care physician, right? And it, it's right. a whole lot less than six hours, probably yeah. like eight minutes or something like that. Right. So you you have this breadth and high quality of engagement. What's that customer segment like? What kind of tooling do they need? How's your engagement with them changed over time? I mentioned earlier, I, I came from advertising technology. It was actually similar. Mm. I worked at a yeah. marketplace. Huh. We paired publishers with brands. Mm. Um, yeah. The brands didn't have the technology to bid into our marketplace. So they licensed software from ad agencies that would provide it. And, um, and those platform relationships were a lot different than when we would work with you know, it, the end buyer directly. Like the analogy would yeah. be a brand compared to a patient's is a little different. Um, yeah. I'll stop pulling on the analogy, it'll fall apart. But I'd be interested to learn about those platform relationships and how you work with them. As a tech company, most, probably most tech companies are creating a platform to enable other people in one way or another, right? And we have a platform that enables people to run home care on top of our platform. Um, and it really comes in two flavors. The one that um, I'd call the traditional model is a normal franchise network where those people are operating under our Homestead brand. They are operating their local business. And the tools that we need to give them are basically BI tools, right? So we need to give them tools to make them smarter and more effective. And then we have to give them a standardized set of practices that they have to follow in order to run their businesses so that they run them to a certain spec that is the highest quality spec. Um, in our business and platform where we are much more comprehensive, where all delivery happens through our technology and operations team, we're probably like 400 people or something on our operations team, like delivering a network of care throughout the country. In that case, the tools that we're giving the owners are, are different. It's deep insights into literally their book of business and the performance of their book of business on an, at any given moment. They actually get a feed. It's like not dissimilar from a Facebook mm -hmm. feed where they can see this is what's happening with all their customers. This is what's happening, you know, with their care pros that are starting to identify escalation points, intervene. Exactly. Yep. Give us data. We give them data. Hey, this customer, this care pro just said this customer needs a new care plan. You know, the care plan's out of date please go back to that home and create a new care plan for that customer. So it's basically a much, much more comprehensive kind of um, dashboard that enables them to see and interact with their business. Let's talk about your international expansion. So you mentioned earlier the other countries in which you operate. When did you decide to launch internationally, right? So that, that's a big decision. It'd be interesting to hear about when you made that decision and, and what drove it, and then any other meaningful differences you see in the countries yeah. you operate. So international, we actually picked up through an acquisitions. Um, so it was easy because it came, <laughs> it came with the acquisition. Um, and what happened there is we, so we were building Honor the platform uh, and we'd gotten quite large uh, on our own. And I went on a walk one day and I realized, you know what? We are probably now in a position with our technology, with kind of how the company was valued with our you know teams where we could buy maybe the largest franchise network in the world. And that would be super interesting because then we would have a consistent consumer brand. So instead of kind of platform for everyone, you could have a platform for a single brand. And this, theoretically, you would have your pick as a buyer, right? Like you could cherry pick. I can look at all of the networks and I could choose if I could, if I could buy any of them, I could buy the best one. And so we went through this process of saying, who should we buy if we could buy them? And we landed on, well, there's this one home instead I've mentioned that's just like, it's the best network. Um, so we initiated conversations with them and literally six months later, we owned Homestead. Mm. And what that did is it let us literally, like we did all this diligence on every network <laughs> that existed. Um, and it was so clear that they were the best network with the best set of owners 
and the highest quality care. And if you can marry up our platform capabilities with their distribution capabilities, it's just like unbelievable. So we executed on that and picked up in the process a whole bunch of international network as well. And how's the integration gone? You know, it's funny. Very fortunately, my first job out of undergrad was corporate development at IBM. <laughs> and back in that day, we had a whole team that did nothing but integration post-acquisition. And we knew, like it was not well established at that point, but IBM knew that the way M&A succeeded or failed was on the integration, not on the deal. Right? Everybody had always like focus on the deal, get to the end, sign the papers and like, what do we do? <laughs> um, and so we've been hyper-focused on the integrations with the company. And they're really now just one company. Like we deeply integrated the management team, the, you know, the whole team, they're based in Omaha in America, they're based in Manchester in the United Kingdom or near a town called Warrington. So we did a really, really deep integration between the teams and they just operate as one company now and everything's kind of co-joined and we have multiple paths to market and the Homestead network is a path to market now. So let's get specific with that because integration could mean, ah, like, let's just set up a REST API so we can pull reporting out of the system, you know, or it could yeah. mean hey, like, let's do an offsite and pull in the leadership teams and like, let's yeah. get really deep into product strategy. So pretend that you are, you know, Series B, Series C funded startup. And, you know, you got a little bit of extra capital in the bank, which we'll just go ahead and live in that narrative for a second. Um, <laughs> and, you, and you're thinking about acquiring a company and leading one of these integrations. What what advice would you give to that founder based on the experience yeah. that idea? So this is a, I'm going to give even broader advice. It's an Amazon thing. Um, so you're going to know what I, you're going to exactly know what I'm saying in a second. You got to think in terms of one-way doors versus two-way doors. Really, really important in M&A. So when we first purchased Home Instead, our belief was we should operate it more in that REST API version you were talking about, which is to say as a division. And that's an easy decision. It's not at all a one-way door. And we pretty quickly realized that that was the wrong call that it actually had to be much more deeply integrated. But the moment you do that, you have now stepped through a one-way door, right? If you start moving the teams around and changing the reporting structures and changing the leadership team, you've absolutely walked through a one-way door. So there are all sorts of decisions, I think, when you're building a high-growth company that are either one-way or two-way. Two two-way, make real quick. One-way, be real careful. Um, and what you like with almost any other process with the M&A, if we had just stuck it there and said, hey, REST API and REST API for forever would not have been a good outcome because we weren't didn't keep our eye on the ball and it, we wouldn't have gotten what we wanted to out of that integration. But we kept our eye on the ball and it became clear that there were too many places where we just needed the companies to be one, like we needed tighter coordination. And so then we said, okay, we're going to step through the one-way door now because we tried the two-way door version mm. and it turned out that that's not as good as in full integration. So now we're willing to step through that one-way door. And we'll induct uh, listeners who aren't familiar with this to the, to the Amazonian lore. So a one-way door decision is one that's irreversible. Uh, and a two-way door, you, you can go and you, you, can, you can pop right back out on the other side. What about the cultural integration? You're a venture-funded startup and yeah, I don't know their corporate background, but how did you harmonize the teams? Really good question. We started from a base of we were complete, like we spent so much time on, are we mission aligned? Are we vision aligned? And the answer was yes and yes. Like our 
collective visions for the future were identical. And I think you need that. You need something. I'm not sure you need that as a base. We needed that as a base. And then you start working and say, okay, great. Like we know we all want to do the same thing organizationally. When you then bring the companies together, you then find all the things about how do you operate in different ways? And there's no way that two companies will, right? And this is another place where if I were going to give entrepreneur advice, I'd say, have a really strong perspective on how you're going to allow the culture to operate. Either the entity you're buying has to conform over to your culture and you mm -hmm. will literally do whatever it is to you know, create that transformation. Or it's okay for it to have its own culture. I don't care, but that probably only works if you do the REST API thing, if you keep mm -hmm. it as a completely separate division. And so we actually, to the culture question, did do kind of, hey, own culture, no problem, when we were gonna operate it as a division. Now that we've completely integrated it, it, think of it more like every office in a company has a little bit of a different culture, but you have one corporate culture, right? And that one corporate culture is kind of the umbrella that goes over all of your various offices, even if each office has a bit of a different culture. And that's really how it operates today. And we actually, we knew you, you know, something that you just need to know going into that is if you make that choice, if you make the integration choice, if you make the, hey, we're going to have to culturally operate in this way, like, you know, data is important, for example, I'm going to make decisions on data, I'll make decisions fast, not slow, like whatever they might be in your case, you will be also simultaneously making the choice to have some people choose to opt out in the company, but because they just don't want to be in that culture. Other people in that company will be like, oh my God, thank God, I've been waiting for this culture to come. And so I actually think that that's a pretty important process because if you're going to do the integrated version, you want the people to stay who are really into the way you believe that you have to operate in order to achieve your mission. And so that's a, I think that's an important outcome of the way you operate it. Let's shift gears a little bit and look forward to the future. So uh, what has you excited and what are you really passionate about for new innovations in the healthcare space for older adults? Yeah. I think a couple of meta things, there are probably like three meta things I care a lot about. One is right now to figure out how to get care for mom or dad when you start to realize that there are issues, it's just so hard. It is so hard to figure out who to call. Like the whole thing is micro sliced as an industry. Like, do I need to call this doctor? Do I need to call this home health thing? Do I need to call this facility thing, this home care thing? Like, what does it all mean? I don't know. So it is so painfully confusing the way we've organized society around caring for older adults. And then no one is just a comprehensive service, right? No one is the comprehensive, like, hey, just call me, I'll take care of it for you. And ultimately that's what we have to be, right? Like ultimately, we just have to be the company that cares for your mom and dad and full stop. And that's where, what I aspire for honor to ultimately become. Um, so that's one part. Let's fix the fragmentation, not just of the industry of home care, but let's fix the fragmentation and services for older adults in general. Um, I think part of fixing that fragmentation is deeper integrations with the retail ecosystem, the healthcare ecosystem, like you're talking about, because you can, you have an opportunity to quarterback right? Like if you're in a home for six hours, you have an opportunity to really help be the Sherpa or the guide of that other adult and their family in how they integrate with other just like core functions of society. And those become increasingly important as someone ages and it becomes harder for them to do that themselves. So those are, those are the things I think about when I think about 
um, where should we continue to evolve in the future? Do you have any asks for our audience? It's a global network of health innovators. Do you have any other announcements or things on the resume you want to talk about? What else can we discuss today? I am always very interested in, you know, if, if you think about, hey, there is this network that exists. Because one thing that's just hard in healthcare in general in, and also in older adult services in general is reaching that population. And so we have this network that reaches like massive population of older adults and spends tons of time with them. So if you have a service, how would you ride on that platform, right? Like what would, what would we be able to do to enable you to get a whole bunch more traffic? And that's the thing that I actually think is stimmies innovation for older adults is like when people start to try to build a thing for older adults, they almost always hit the wall of, I can't scale. I just can't scale. It's too hard to get traffic, whatever your traffic might be. Um, I really want to help solve that. So that would be the question that I'd ask for your, your health innovators. Everybody who's listening who has a solution that's going to help improve the lives of older adults, make sure to ping Seth. He's going to, he's going to help you out. Seth Sternberg from Honor, thank you so much for joining. I, it was a great conversation. I hope everybody got a lot of tips. Awesome, Alex. Thanks so much for having me. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and rating. It helps others find us. To learn more about how AWS supports startups, please go to aws.amazon.com slash startups.